You're listening to the audio ministries of First Baptist Church of Troy, Texas. You're invited to join us for live and in-person morning worship every Sunday morning at 1045 a.m. Visit fbctroytx.org for a list of our activity times and family-centered community ministries. Now here's today's message. We're going to continue on with uh, our series that we've been in, the, the Downfall of a Wise Man. We've been looking at the life of Solomon uh, and uh, what is bringing about, what brought about his downfall. And uh, last week, we, as we were looking at him, we saw the beginning of his downfall. Uh, he is ignoring the commands of God and, and the forgetting from where his blessings came from. Uh, and we see the erosion, the beginning erosion of, of Solomon's character. And as wise as he was, yeah, this is what gets me. This is the wisest man that's ever lived on this planet. With the exception of Jesus, of course. You know, we're, we're talking just plain 100% human being here. The wisest man, he couldn't see it slowly happening in front of his eyes. He could not see the erosion of his character. And as I thought about this, and as I've studied his life, I think it's because he thought it couldn't happen to him, Right? How many times do we do things thinking, oh, it won't happen to me? Oh, it happened to those guys over there, but this won't happen to me. And I think that's possibly part of the problem that Solomon had. He didn't think it would happen to him. But his compromises to God's commands slowly started to erode his character. Uh, it kind of reminds me of like running water. You know, you have a, a river that runs downhill. Eventually, it runs long enough, fast enough, it creates a hole as big as the Grand Canyon. That's what they say created the Grand Canyon. Just that erosion of that water, slowly but surely eroding. In fact, water like that can literally move a mountain. And I think that character erosion happens in much the same way. Slowly. It's so slow. And it escapes the notices of those who may be looking at that person, and it escapes the notice of that person, the one who's experiencing the erosion. They just don't see it happening. Again, it's, it's uh, you know, those of you that have kids, you know, you're with your kids day in and day out, and, and the only thing you know about them growing is all of a sudden their pants don't fit like they used to. You notice that, but, but it's so slow as they grow, but somebody who hasn't seen them, maybe as a grandparent, has not seen them for a month or two months, you go, whoa, you have grown because they've shot up because they're not with them the whole time. Sometimes... Character erosion happens because, as they say, we can't see the forest for the trees. And, uh, and so even a character as strong as Solomon's can fall prey to the effects of erosion. And folks, if he can, so can ours. And so today I want us to take uh, some time to discover what led to the erosion of Solomon's character and what can lead to our erosion. The first thing is this. If I get where we go. Ego and pride kill humility. Ego and pride kill 
humility. Last week, we saw in 2 Chronicles in uh, chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, that Solomon humbly acknowledged that he needed God's help to rule, and he asked for wisdom, and he asked for knowledge. God said, give me, just ask me what you want, and I will give it to you. And Solomon said, man, to rule your people, again, he said, your people, which so he told God they were his people, I need wisdom, I need knowledge from you, because I can't do this. He humbled himself. In humility, he acknowledged he needed God, and this pleased God, and God granted his request, but not only did God give him wisdom and knowledge, but we know that God gave him many more blessings. He gave him wealth, he gave him fame. In fact, Sol- I mean, Solomon's great fame and his wealth and his wisdom are the result of God's hand being on his life. The kingdom that Solomon was king over, the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, they, they were there because of God. This was God's act. The Lord, His God, was with him, and it made him, and, and God made him exceedingly great. Because here in the beginning, at the beginning, Solomon's heart was right. He showed humility, and God blessed him as he had blessed no other king in the past or in the future. And and so, so confident was Solomon of God's promise that he went to Jerusalem to rule. God is faithful. Solomon is prepared for his task. And as Solomon ruled, we see where he had an unparalleled record of achievements. But we also see the beginning of his fall. Listen to what he writes in Ecclesiastes. I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of tree in them. I constructed reservoirs of water for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I owned many herds of cattle and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all of my struggles." Now, as you first read that, you say, man, look at all of this. But all of a sudden, when you really take a close look at at these verses, one thing seems to pop out on there. And if you'll notice, what's that word right there? I. What's that word right there? I. That one? My. I counted 12 times Solomon uses I. And uh, there's, there's a couple of three mys in there also. So who does Solomon say did all this? Himself. I. 
Who does he not give credit to for all of this? God. When one gets great wealth, and one gets great power, and one gets great wisdom, many times the growth of pride and ego follow. These verses that we read are basically his, his royal resume. They're, they're the king's catalog of achievements or accomplishments based on 1 Kings chapter 3 through 11. We're not going to read all of that. But you can go back and look at 1 Kings chapters 3 through chapters 11 and you can find all of that in there. That was a nutshell. That was just a synopsis of what was there. Solomon, what Solomon wanted others to know, he wanted others to know the extent of his power, his riches, his wisdom. And so Solomon expressed himself because he wanted others to know how great and mighty and wise and rich he was. He expressed himself in extensive building and planting of vineyards and fruit trees and gardens. It became about what he had accomplished and not what God had done for him. And so Solomon built enormous estates with parks and gardens, literal paradises at that time. Uh, again, orchards with all types of fruit trees. Man, they, they just were all throughout there. And, uh, and we're not going to look at it, but when you get home, read just uh, 1 Kings in chapter 10. Because of the purpose of 1 Kings chapter 10 is to emphasize Solomon's glory. You get to see how, how, how rich this guy is. Men from gold drinking vessels. We're not talking about gold plated. We're talking solid gold drinking vessels. Cups, right? To sailing ships. From, I, from an ivory throne that he had. Uh, uh, to handcrafted chariots. He possessed everything the human heart could desire in quantities that would stagger our imagination. We just can't fathom all that he had. In fact, we're told that, that it was so overwhelming that even the Queen of Sheba was completely overwhelmed by Solomon's wisdom and by the splendor of his kingdom. I, again, you know, silver in Solomon's kingdom was almost worthless. There was so much of it. It was almost worthless. It had very little value. This man was rich. And his riches and his wisdom brought him worldwide fame. And gifts started pouring into him from, from admirers all over the world. And people were coming, the, the kings, the great kings from others, other nations were coming to visit him, to hear from him. And because of his wisdom and wealth, Solomon was held in, in the highest regard and he enjoyed the praises of men. men. Men were just praising him and praising him. And you know what happens when that goes on? The head goes, right? Yeah. Boy, were they stoking his ego. Solomon began believing all those things that people were telling him about himself. How great and how wonderful he was, and that all the stuff that he had, and he said, yeah, I am pretty great. I am pretty wonderful. I look at all what I have. Look what I have done. What I have done for myself. What I have brought into myself. And Solomon lost any humility that he had. 
And folks, with the loss of humility, that becomes, it brings about the loss of godly character every time. Because part of a godly character is humility. Humility knowing, I can't do this, I need God. But Solomon got to the point and says, look what I did. Not what God did, what I did. And so, we see the ego and pride kill humility. And, and now we see the beginning of a downfall here. In, in Solomon's, Ecclesiastes is basically, again, as I said a couple of Sundays ago, is Solomon's memoirs. And, and this book helps us to see what eventually brought about the fall of Solomon. In Ecclesiastes, in, in uh, chapter 2, it says, I said to myself, go ahead. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. Now, this is Solomon talking to himself here. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it is madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind how to let my body enjoy life with wine and how to grasp folly. My mind still gu guiding me with wisdom until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. What we find now is Solomon, he, I mean, he's got all these riches, he's got all these things, but Solomon is now turning to the pursuit of pleasure. And what Solomon did is he reasoned that it would seem reasonable that one would be happy if one could just get enough pleasure. That's all we need, right? Isn't that what the world tells us? And isn't that what advertising tells us? That, that as we get enough pleasure in our life, we will find fulfillment. And pleasure, by definition, means this. It means the enjoyable sensations that come from the gratification of personal desires. And so that's what Solomon says, man, I'm just going to go after pleasure. I'm going to please everything that I want in my whole body. I just want to know pleasures, personal pleasures. And, and, and Solomon's indulgence in these pleasures were not done impulsively. He just didn't think, oh, I'm just going to do this. And just as it came along, no, it wasn't done that way. It was undertaken with deliberate planning. He did it on purpose. He, and the thing is, he acted both as the participant and the observer. He participated in it, but then he observed everything that was going on. Basically, as, I have, as one commentator said, he said, Solomon decided that he would drink the cup of fun to the full. And then at last his heart would ask no more. But you know what happened, folks? That search ended in failure. And he concludes that pleasures, as we see up there, as we saw in Ecclesiastes, that pleasures under the sun are worthless. In his search for satisfaction, uh, uh, there were no limits to it. I mean, there were no limits. He was the king. He had all the money in the world. He could do anything he wanted. If he saw something he desired, he bought it. If he thought it'd bring him some pleasure, he treated himself to it. And, and although he found a sense of gratification, it was only for a short time. Just a short time. A fleeting joy. 
was all the reward that he got for his efforts in pursuing pleasure and possessions. Solomon felt that he had the right to enjoy himself. He could have been an American, right? Isn't that the way we are? We feel we have the right to enjoy ourselves, to do the things that we want to do. He'd worked hard for all of this. Look at all this gold I have. Look at all the kingdom I have. I worked hard for this. Did he work hard for it? No. Who gave it to him? Thank you for one. Audience participation time. Who gave it to him? God did. Yeah. But he thought he worked hard for it. But as is so often the case, and what people today find out, the payoff didn't match the effort that he expended. The realization that fame is short-lived and that man is quickly forgotten actually made Solomon hate his life. Can you believe that? Richest man in the world, wisest man in the world, the one that has everything in the world that he needs, he actually hated his life. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. Instead of finding satisfaction, instead of finding fulfillment in human activity under the sun, he only found grief. And it troubled him to realize that everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Again, look at that in our society today, folks. Are we not doing the same thing? Chasing the wind? I've been seeing automobile advertisements on TV. If you can find a car, good luck, right? But the thing is, they're telling you on the automobile advertisements that, man, 2021 car is the car that's going to do what you need it to do. It's the car that's going to bring you happiness. It's the car that's going to draw attention to you. Isn't that what they say about the 2020s and the 2019s and the 2018s and the 2017s? Must be fleeting, right? We go after these things, but we get them. And we find out they're not what we thought they were. They break down. They have problems. They don't bring the fulfillment that I need in my life. That's what Solomon was doing. Solomon found that out. If, oh, for a short time, yeah, it had, you know, he had that new car smell, right? New car smell don't last long. That's what he found out. The world would have a person to believe that they can make their own heaven down here without God. And that's what Solomon was trying to do. But what Solomon learned is this, is that all, all this world can offer is really cesspools and sewers. But God offers the fountain of life. Now, does this mean that God is opposed to His people having pleasure, having pleasures in life? No, not at all. We're not like the pure, you know, the Puritans said if you laughed, you could get, uh, you could get whipped. You could, there was no smiling. The Puritan said smiling is evil. That shows that the devil's at work in your life. So that's why you ne they walked around never smiling or laughing or anything like that. No, God wants us to have, enjoy life. He wants us to have pleasures. 
He, but what he wants us to realize is that this world cannot provide true pleasure. Only he can do that. Solomon reveals his bitter disappointment in life. Basically, it had played a trick on him. All his life, man, he, he thought that he was pursuing the, the grand task of, in his quest for wisdom. But in the end, all he was chasing was the wind. He never got it. He never found pleasure that, that one thing that he said, this is it, no more, I've got it for life. It always lost again that new car smell. His efforts were destined for nothingness. And folks, so are ours if we keep chasing after the wind. If we keep chasing after the things that this world says is pleasurable, is joyful. The things that we need that will make our life complete. There's only one that can make our life complete and His name is Jesus. When you allow, folks, when you allow worldly desires to uh, obsess you and you pursue them with all of your might, it always, hear me, it always leads to a falling away from God. And in the end, when you stand before God, you have gained nothing. I mean, think about this. Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, all the gold. I mean, he was, he was bringing in 25 tons of gold every year on top of other stuff. One day when he stood before God, what did he have? Nothing. God went, pavement, you know? That's a thing that we forget. We go after all of these things thinking, oh, this is going to complete my life, but it doesn't. Because in the end, when we stand before God, it means nothing. We were just chasing the wind. And then we find here that compromise brings the erosion of character. To attain these worldly pleasures that Solomon sought after, there almost always has to be a moral compromise. A compromise of God's Word. In the pursuit of peace, in the pursuit of power, in the pursuit of pleasure, Solomon had many wives. He had many lovers. And in 1 Kings uh, chapter 3, we find that Solomon's marriage to his uh, daughter is one of Egypt by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Now, do you remember what we looked at last week, right? Last week, we were saw where God told the kings of Israel that they were to have nothing to do with anything from what country? Egypt. Yeah, that's right. Somebody's listening. Yes. And this marriage... This marriage alliance with Egypt was for the purpose of bringing peace between the nations. Here's what Solomon thought. Daddy ain't going to attack his daughter if she's queen. Right? That's why he married her. So the king of Egypt would leave him alone. 
instead of trusting God for security, he married the enemy. Another problem that Solomon ignored was the marrying a foreign princess might bring destructive uh, foreign religious and political ideas to, e to uh, Israel. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, <laughs> oh, he loves the Moabite women, the Ammonite women, the Edomite women, the Sidonian, the Hittite women. I mean, take a look at this. King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations that the Lord had told, Whoa, the Israel's about. Do not intermarry with them, uh, and they must not intermarry with you because they will turn you away from me to their gods. Solomon was deeply attached to these women and loved them. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and they turned his heart away from the Lord. Oh, gee. 700 wives, 300 concubines. Don't tell me this was a wise man. He was a big dummy. Oh, man. I got one wife, that's all I want, because she's the best I could ever get. Did I pull me out of the doghouse with that one? Okay, good, thank you. <laughs> oh, I mean, think about this. It's been Solomon, again, he's just pursuing pleasure, and he's just wanting more and more and more. He compromised by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. But you know what happens, folks? Compromise always leads to more compromise. And like marriage to this Egyptian princess, most of these unions to those 700 wives were probably politically motivated to keep those countries from attacking him or so that he could have a hand in what was going on in those countries. And again, remember Deuteronomy 7.17, what it said? He, meaning the king, must not acquire many wives for himself so that his heart won't go astray. Huh. Man. The extent to which Solomon disobeyed this, this command is absolutely shocking. I mean, it is truly shocking. And the result was exactly what God said was going to happen. His wives turned him to idolatry when Solomon was old his wife seduced him to follow other gods he was not completely devoted to Yahweh his God as his father David had been of all the sins recorded in scripture God takes idolatry the most serious for no other sin has the capability of, of just wrecking the entire covenant itself. Solomon's tolerance of, of other religions and, and the following of other gods showed to what depth his character had now fallen. As Solomon grew older, his resistance started wearing down and he became increasingly vulnerable and his service to the Lord became less and less and less. And notice that his love for the Lord is measured by the standards of David. 
Man, David, with all of his faults, and he had them, loved God with a passion throughout his lifetime. Solomon's heart was no longer holy gods. His heart was now given to other gods, to other pleasures, to power. And the Lord ceased to be the major factor in his life. And once his shift occurred, the next steps into idolatry became more natural and easier to accept. What Solomon did is he established a religious tolerance. And he began treating all religions alike. And that led to his downfall. And Solomon's sin will soon cause the nation to crash from its heights. The great heights it had achieved under his leadership. In fact, his idolatry will lead to idolatry among the people. And as the king goes, so goes the nation. Israel has now begun the long road to exile. They don't know it yet. They don't know what, that their actions are about to bring about some terrible consequences on them. Because anytime we compromise God's Word, anytime we compromise our worship of God, there are consequences. Now folks, you know, we don't, we don't worship idols today. I mean, stone things. But we worship idols. We have idols in our lives. Idols of material possessions. Idols of power. Whatever it may be. With those things that we lift up there and we go for them more than we go for God. And we justify it and we compromise and we compromise and we go, you know, if I just miss church one week, that's okay, I'm going to go do this. Because I want to do it. I deserve it. And we come back to church for a while and then I'll say, you know, I'm going to miss again because I deserve it. And before long, after a while, you look up and guess what you're not doing anymore? Going to church, worshiping God. And you're always out there because now this has become your God. I ask you a question, what has become your God? What is that thing that you put over God? It can even be family. We can worship family over God. That's what happened to Solomon. And he started worshiping the idols and his heart moved away from God till God was the last thing he thought about. One other thing is that when you compromise your walk with God, you will always also compromise your walk with others. Again, we're not going to look at this, but I want you to just look at 1 Kings in chapter 9, verses 10 through 14 sometime. And you read about Solomon cheating a friend of his, a king of another country. This king had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress logs and gold. In fact, we're told in Scripture, as much as Solomon wanted, this king would give to him. He was a friend of Solomon's. And Solomon said, you give me this and I'll give you something in return. I'll pay you back. You know what he gave him? 
20 towns. And you go, hey, that's not bad. (laughs) We find out those 20 towns were absolutely worthless. They were no better than rubbish. They didn't come close to the value of the goods that king had given Solomon. You know, it says a whole lot about a person's character when they knowingly and willfully will even cheat their friends. As his character disintegrates, we find out that even his friends could not trust him. From Solomon, folks, we learn that the downfall of a person and the downfall of a nation comes when God's word is compromised. It's compromised. Look in our own country today. Look at the compromising of God's Word. What God's Word says is right, but we go, well, you know, it's not going to hurt. It's okay. No, we're compromising. We're compromising. Whether it's on the issue of abortion or same-sex marriage or the fact that two people who aren't married are living together. We go, oh, that's no, we're compromising. We're not calling it what it is. We compromise. Compromising comes when we allow ourselves so many times to get too close and personal with those who do not follow God's Word. We allow ourselves to get close. We allow ourselves to get personal. And what happens is we begin to value their friendship and their companionship and and their desires over our own relationship with God and what He tells us to do. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to say anything to them. Bottom line is, we love and cherish our relationship with them more than we do our relationship with God. And Scripture tells us not to let this happen. I mean, Solomon should have known better. It tells us not to become mismatched with unbelievers, which is exactly what Solomon was allowing into his life. Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Now the King James says, do not be unequally yoked. Unequally yoked. Basically, this is a word picture in the original language, and the the idea of the idea is of hooking up two different kinds of animals together to to plow or to pull a wagon. It means you don't yoke one animal of one kind with another animal of another kind because the stronger one is going to end up pulling around the weaker one. Now, most of the times we use this in the marriage concept. We'll say, don't marry someone. Don't become unequally yoked. Don't marry an unbeliever. We use it in that way. But folks, it's also true in friendship. It's also true in business. Don't become mismatched with unbelievers. But this also would include, and hear me, This also would include believers who live a life compromising God's Word. When a believer lives a lifestyle that compromises the Word of God, they are living the lifestyle of an unbeliever. When you yoke yourself to one who does not follow God's Word or compromises God's Word, you've become unequally yoked. You've become mismatched. 
and you will find yourself being influenced by them. Don't say you won't. You will. Compromise also comes when we become obsessed with uh, and go after the shiny trinkets, if you will, that the world has to offer. You know, the trinkets of power and pleasure and, and, and possessions. Just as Solomon did. He let himself become mismatched. He went after all of these things the world said was good. Now again, I, Solomon did not start out that way. He didn't. He started out good. In fact, I believe when, when he first started, he would say that this would never happen to him. The downfall that happened to him, he would say when he first started out, it could never happen to him. But somewhere down the line, he started compromising God's commands and then came another compromise and another compromise and another until his downfall was complete. So what do we take away from this? Very simply this. Don't let your ego tell you that it won't happen to you. That you are better than that. Folks, if it can happen to the wisest man who ever lived, it can happen to you. It can happen to me. Let me ask you to bow your heads in prayer. question I ask you is this. Where are you compromising God's Word? Notice I didn't say, are you compromising God's Word? The question is, where are you compromising God's Word? What are you allowing into your life that you know God doesn't want there? What are you doing in your life you know that God doesn't want you to do? His Word says otherwise. What are you not doing that you know He wants you to do? Where are you compromising? Folks, when you start compromising God's Word, the compromising keeps going. And before long, the downfall comes. Who are those you're letting into your life that are influencing you that you should not allow to influence you? I mean, God warned Solomon, man, don't marry a bunch of women. They're going to get you. And they did. They influenced him. The greatest king that ever lived, the richest king that ever lived, the wisest king that ever lived, these women brought about his downfall. Who are you allowing into your life that's encouraging you to compromise where you should be? What are you going after in your life that you're putting above God? That, that if you were to put as much energy in serving God, that God could do great things through you if you used as much energy as what you're going after whatever this is in the world you're going after. The truth of the matter is we're all doing it. And I'll raise my hand in that also. We all go after something. That's how Satan works. And it's, it's, he slowly gets us, just like Solomon. It was a slow thing. It wasn't a quick thing. It was slow, but it happened. And that's how he gets us. And unless we wake up 
and look at where we're at, we never realize it. We never realize it. We never realize how far we have wandered away from God. Years ago, I was out fishing when I had a, a boat. And I was fishing up against the shore. And, and I decided to turn around and cast away from the shore for a little while. And uh, I thought I was right up next to the shore. And after a while, I looked back and I had just drifted so far away from that shore. I didn't know it. It didn't feel like it. But I drifted so far away. Folks, have you drifted away from God? From where He wants you to be? Are you compromising? Today is the day to stop it. Today is the day to come back to God. Today is the day to admit, I have compromised in these ways and I don't want to do it anymore. Let God know that. We're going, the altar is open for any, any who would want to just come and kneel and pray. Where you'll be standing in a moment, you can pray there. If you want to come forward, I'd be happy to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've been told, well, I don't need, I need this, I'm going to go after this, I don't need Jesus right now. And you're compromising. You know you need to accept Him, but you're compromising. Eventually that compromising is going to catch up with you. And when you stand before God one day, it's going to be too late. Today, would you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by just saying a very simple prayer, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I don't want to compromise anymore. I want to give myself totally to You and You alone. I want to follow You and You alone to the best I can. And I'm trusting in You for my eternity. If you pray a prayer or something like that, I promise you, according to God's Word, you will be saved. If you in this auditorium, man, we invite you during invitation time, just come forward and say, hey, I prayed that prayer. We will celebrate with you. If you're listening to us over live stream and uh, you prayed that prayer, email us. We want to celebrate with you and we want to pray for you. All I know is this. I can't say, do you have any compromises in your life? We all do. And at time we do something about them. For the glory of God. Because those compromises are what a lot of times bring about our downfall. And too many times it brings about the downfall of our witness to others about Jesus. It's time we wisen up. I wish Solomon would have. Father, thank You for this Word. Lord, as I was going through it, Father, I had to deal with some things in my life. As I looked and saw and realized that uh, there were some compromises. Lord, were they bad? wouldn't necessarily say they were bad, but they definitely weren't good and they were things that could lead me away from You. And Lord, I don't want them in my life. And Father, I pray that would be the prayer of all of us in this place as we look to see where we have compromised. Not if, but where we have compromised. And that Lord, we would return to You as You want us to do, so that You can bless us the way You want to bless us. And again, Father, so many times for we as believers, when we compromise, sometimes the biggest downfall is the downfall of our witness. It ruins our witness to those around us. And Satan wins. Father, may we desire Him to win no more. So Lord, this is Your invitation to us. Speak to us. And Father, I pray 
that when we leave this place, we would say, no more compromise. I'm following Jesus all the way. For it's in Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. We'd like to personally thank you for taking the time out of your day to hear our latest message. Do us a favor and send an email to outreach at fbctroytx.org to let us know that you heard us and what you thought of the message. Remember to visit fbctroytx.org to learn more about how we support our local community. Again, thank you for listening.